Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can find me there on Twitter. And this is the show where we kind of go over a little bit about about yesterday's slate, a little bit about today's slate, answer a bunch of questions, our strategy questions in the YouTube chat, because I can see you there. I see you YouTube chat people, Kevin Copeland, Chris Clark, Quinn Williams, Daniel Hutchins, GR Sauceda 12, Jupocalypse, GoSoxBro.com. Probably probably get Meat Plow in there. It's always Mr. Plow's always there, Mr. Meat Plow. He's always there. And uh, because it's Mondays, you know what we do on Mondays? It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, uh, the co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. 15-hour audio masterclass teaching you the entire game theory of DFS at theoryofdfs.com. But James, uh, everyone has to hit the thumbs up button, okay? I always say hit the th- hit the thummy thumbs to keep the apple juice cold, but uh, everyone hit the thummy thumbs because James is now a new dad, right? Congratulations. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's uh, it is definitely a thumbs up situation for me. Um, I've wanted to be a dad since I was like I don't know twelve or something like that. So, who wants pretty, to be uh, a dad at twelve? Dude, I I was born to be a dad. All right, I'm really really good at taking care of people. I'm really really good at like just like caring about others, being empathetic, and just I, I want to like teach people things. That's that's like my whole thing. So like having teach, a kid, I can just teach are you going to teach your kid to play DFS better than you? Yeah, I already made him a DraftKings account. Are you kidding me? Yeah, of course well, you can't I, play Well, he can't, can't play. He has to wait. There's an age limit. Well, you know, yeah. Well, you know, he's going to be ready when that when that age limit hits. But yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach him everything that I know about uh, about decision theory and math and stuff like that. He's he's going to be awesome. So I'm I'm really excited uh, to to start this journey, and um, I am thankful that it was very quick and that the process was not terrible for margaret either and you know we're we're already pretty much back to now i guess what is regular adult life and and regular parent life so very very happy to um to have a a kid now it's cool and and you you named you named your kid a tongue twister (laughs) was your last name damascus mccool damascus five times fast damascus gideon mccool what made you choose damascus uh, it is a name. So I, when it comes to names, like I'm really big on having something that is unique and like inspires confidence. Like I, I didn't Just want like your name, James, very unique. No, not like my name, James. <laughs> that was the point. Like my, my grandma was like, why don't you just name him James? I'm like one, I'm not going to name my kid James Jr. Cause that's, that's not my thing. And two, like it's a common name. I didn't want him to have a common name. I had, I wanted to have something that he could own and that would inspire confidence and would inspire like longevity and, and strength. And that's, you know, I, I think that, that does that really, really well. And what would be like the nickname? I'm trying to, I'm always trying to think because my parents, my parents, my mother wanted to name me Percival. Damn, that'd be awesome. Because she, she had the same thing. Like my parents were the same way. Like back in 1979, Jordan was not the co- a common name. Yeah. My sister's name is Logan. So they yeah. wanted to do the same thing of like making unique names. Or at least less less common names. Yeah. But my yeah. father had to had to slap some sense into her about Percival and say like Percival is the type of name that kids will make fun of. 
Percy. Like it's the it's a it's it's one of those it's just one of those names. So he he convinced her to switch switch to Jordan at least. Yeah, because you have to think in terms of like when when you the the way that the name the Damascus McCool. Like I don't think you can make make fun. I don't think you can make fun of Damascus. But like, what would be the nickname? Uh, so we're probably gonna call him either Dame or D. Like both of those are really, really easy. And I'm sure that well, like, you know, parents come up with like nicknames for their kids that but maybe don't even relate to their first name or their, their middle name or whatever. But like I, I think that Dame is probably the one that I'll stick to the most. And when it comes to like kids making fun of other kids for their names, like they'll make fun of anything. A, a third grader will make fun of any name. And it doesn't even matter. Like I so when when I'm thinking names, like that doesn't even cross my mind. I, I just want something that he can be like really really just happy and like unique to have and, and feel special for having it so uh like as much as i understand like why your parents were like no first of all they'll they'll make fun of him for it it's just like first of all the badass name like that that's a cool name maybe and now I, it is maybe well, now personal i i am now going to call you personal so that <laughs> there you go that's that's the new name no because imagine like the, the race car driver what dick trickle like, he must have had a horrible horrible childhood Right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's the, it's one of those things where, but like, if you get made fun of a whole bunch as a kid for your name, there, there's two different routes, right? Like you can either hate that name or you can have such a vengeance that children made fun of you that as an adult, you just own it. And that you're just like, yeah, my name is Dick Trickle. You got a problem with it. And then, you know, if people do, then you fight them. And that's, that's the way that adulthood goes. For well, you. Also, it also depends on your build, whatever. I'm a scrawny Jewish guy. So like, uh, okay, I'm well, that's fair. People well, are gonna pick on me. I, I mean, Jordan or Percival, I, I can see Percival fitting you pretty well. Like, I, I could call you Percy, and that would be oh, good. Oh, and so, that's oh. what we're gonna do from now on. De on Mondays, it is McCool Mondays with Percy. So there Percy. we go. <laughs> All right. As, hey, as long as long as I'm winning in the DFS lobbies, I don't care what you call me. That's all that matters anymore. Right. That's, and that's the thing. Like, as soon as you hit adulthood, who cares? Like, you'd be called like. Like uh, the fluffy or whatever. Like, who cares? Fluffy. As long as you're successful at what you're doing, it doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, what does matter is NBA DFS. We're coming. We're coming up on uh, the All Star break, which is a little bit shorter this year. Uh, so what? We're, we're the last game is on what Thursday, and then it's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then they're back. Mm -hmm. Personally, I don't know why they're even bothering with an all-star game. So stupid. So right? stupid. I mean, to me, to me, this is this is what you need to plan on about a week and a half from now. Uh, half the games on a slate being canceled due to COVID protocols. Because you know, but what you're gonna take stars from all the teams and all in one place and then send them back to their teams, and hopefully nothing happens, right? Let, let's so uh so I, I, don't, I don't know, but uh, but with the All-Star break coming up, we, we don't have the, the situation. I mean, we normally don't wear, I mean, we, we see players rest all the time regardless. Mm -hmm. so it's, it's not the, uh, I mean, like when it comes up on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, we, we have to assume that because the players that are at least aren't playing in the All-Star game are going to have five days off that it's quite possible that it's not in, We'll have everyone available, and same when they come back. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to kind of prep for like the late season because we have baseball coming up, obviously, and then we'll get into like the silly season of NBA. 
even though the, this whole season seems like silly season. Yeah, this has been March NBA DFS since the beginning of the year. Yeah, but imagine March N- D- NBA DFS now in this season. I don't want to. I'm just going to hibernate. <laughs> I'm just going to take March off. Like, I'm not going to do anything except for play counter-shift. <laughs> but, but what it highlights, though, is that do you think that in, in a season like this, or very similar to late season NBA normally, that this, the same game correlations are a bit stronger. Because we also have seen a lot more blowouts this season. And a lot of people ask me, like, well, should I make groups? And should I always try to play players from the same game, the opposite sides of the game? Like, if, like on today's slate, we have Dallas and Orlando, that if you're going to play Vooch, play Vooch and Luca together, or, or, or Richardson or something, like, trying to fit more of that type of correlation, which is still weak. I still admit that these are, all of these correlations are weak, uh, but they do exist. That it's more beneficial this season or when it's silly time uh, than than normal. Because just, because what ends up happening, we see so many times that, that people, people are in our Discord, which you could sign up if you're a premium member, Hit one of the links in the description below for $10 off your first month that we're constantly rooting for games to be close. Like we're just kind of like, it's good. Like it's the third quarter, one team's down by 18 and you're like, you either you have a starter on, on the winning side or the losing side. And you just, all you're hoping for is to just, I want full minutes. So just please just keep it close enough that everyone gets their last rotation of some type. And with that much prevalence on can these games stay close, shouldn't we shouldn't we focus more, not like entirely, but more on these same game correlations, even if we do have to set hard rules on it, because we have what, like on this slate, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven games. Because it's quite possible that three out of these seven games turn into blowouts. Four out of these seven games that starters will not play their last rotation. So don't you think that that makes it even more important that if you condensed, I, I said that I said this on a previous show that if I were to play like Indianapolis, uh, India, uh, Philly, like if I were to play whoever Brogdon, if he plays and Embiid, like, like wouldn't it make sense to just play them in the same lineup? So like if that game blows out, if that something happens or whatever, like that whole lineup just gets burned. But uh, if it does go, you know, if it, obviously if it does go to double overtime, I'm great. But do you, do you think, do you think of, do you think of over prioritizing it? Like that to me, I don't know. I don't know where that fine line is. Cause I know the same game, same the two sides of a game correlation does exist, but I'm, I'm hesitant to just tell people like that. No, they should be forcing that in. Uh, but I mean, I tend, I tend, I tend to do so when I hand build, and I do make player groups like that when I do multi-entry builds. Do you think I'm doing it too much, or do you think the field isn't doing it enough? So, it's one of the things that I like to do is when we have players that are going to be very popular. Typically, what happens is you know somebody gets ruled out, or or there's a, a starter that is going to be too cheap and they're they're very very popular or a team in general is just um 
too underpriced and people are very on them. Like maybe people yesterday with Charlotte or something had a lot of Lamelo Ball and a lot of Terry Rozier and like not a lot of the other team. I do think that there is something valuable to taking one player from the other team because if you have two players from one team, you absolutely need that game to stay close. Otherwise, like they're they're shot. So if it stays close, then that means that the other team is also playing well enough to have it be close. And you, you hope that it goes over the implied total. I, I think that um, one of the things I like to do is when we have a team with two or three or four popular guys, I like to be different by forcing in one of the players from the other team. Um, because like you said, there are so many blowouts this year. And uh, at, at first it felt like, in the first month and a half, I remember you and I talking and saying, "Oh, well, d- don't predict blowouts." Like, there's well, no, no, but lot. I did no, no. Hold on, hold on. I know that I don't predict blowouts, but cor- if I'm correlating my lineups, I'm not predicting. I think the, the clarity here is out of these seven games today, I'm not going to predict who's what. What? what no, I'm, I'm going to blow out, and I'm getting to that, and okay, I'm getting get, to okay. It. Get to get to it then. Yeah, so I'm I'm getting to that. Like earlier, we like there there have been a lot of blots, and like you shouldn't predict blots, a- absolutely not. Um, so one of the things about that is like if you think that games are blowing out more often, then you absolutely should be trying to prioritize single game environments because if the game doesn't blow out, then your assumption is that it probably has a leg up on one or two other games on the slate. Um. I do admit that it, that it is a weak correlation and I prefer to do it to gain some relative value because people don't game stack enough. Um, but I, I think that one of the reasons why you do it is mostly because people think that there'll be a blowout. That's my favorite way to do it is targeting a game that people think will blow out. Like people thought that the, that the Sixers were going to blow out the Cavs the other night. And so that they were like, Oh, I don't want to play Embiid because it's going to be a blowout. Just like, one, you don't know that it's going to be a blowout. And two, if people are going to be lower on Embiid in this spot where he projects super duper well, then you should absolutely be forcing him in with the Cavs value with Dean Wade and with Darius Garland and those guys, because people don't do it enough. So I I think that I would probably lean towards the side of the field is not doing it enough and you are doing it just enough. Um, I I think there is value in it. I, I don't, I don't force it when I game stack or, I mean, I don't force it when I hand build um, because if one player, I remember specifically there, there was one situation where um, Jason Tatum projected way better than Zion Williamson. And I had the other side of that Pelicans game. I had a couple of players. It was when uh, Detroit was, was super value. It was like DSJ and Saban Lee and, and Josh Jackson going up against Pelicans um, with the Spurs value. And I considered very strongly going with Zion Williamson because if the Detroit value is going to get there, it's because they played a full game. Um, but I went with Jason Tatum because he was projected for I don't know, nine points, 10 points above Zion. And if I would have gone Zion, then it would have been a huge day. So sometimes I kick myself on stuff like that, but I know the correlations are so low that it's hard for me to make that decision. There's a large projection discrepancy. So I right, guess you're not going to really- make it up in a 10 point. You're not going to make, you're not, you're not going to sacrifice 10 points. Yeah. For the yeah. I'm not going to sacrifice that. Right. But I yeah. think that's the key of seeing what, what sacrifice you're making in projection in order to get that correlation. That's why if it's a difference of a point to me, it's like, I'm going to side, I'm going to side with the correlation. It's, it's 
all these types of things I view as like tiebreaker levels, like 55, 45 type of levels, right? Like in your instance with Tatum or Zion, it's like, I'm not going to sacrifice 10 points in median just for the sake of having a guy on the other side of the game. Like it's just not going to happen. But if you're, if you're left with, uh, uh, I could play any of these small forwards and they're all projected somewhere around each other. Like, well, is, is there anyone on the opposite side of any of the other players that you have in your, in your lineup? Then, then take that. And Alex Santi brought up a very, very good point. Game stacking. And when we, when we say game stacking, we're not talking about taking seven guys from a game. No, like four. Stack, I mean, game stacking literally could be one guy from one side and one guy from the other side. Mm-hmm. That could literally be a game stack. It could be two and one. It could be three and two. It doesn't have to be a ton. But a lot of times it's just 1-1 one, one or 2-1 or something like that. Game stacking in NBA is weaker the larger the slate gets, the more options we get, mm-hmm. which is very different from baseball. In MLB, the more games that there are, the more light, the more you should be stacking. Mm-hmm. But that's the nuances of why, because correlation in NBA is weak. The correlation in MLB is extremely strong because in MLB, you have to think in terms of if there's a 15 game slate, there's there's more there's now 30 teams that have the chance of putting up 12, 15 runs, and there's more of them. You don't know which one it's going to be. It's more likely to be the better teams, but you never know. Pirates show up every once in a while. The Marlins. That's how I win. So with 30 teams on the slate, well, one of them. What and if any team goes off at 10 plus runs, like that stack wins. Like that's, that's, that's the way it happens in baseball because of correlation in basketball. If we had a, if we had a 14 game slate, like still you could have six blowouts and no games go to overtime. They could be under get like that. The size of the slate doesn't, doesn't matter. There's, there's not all oh, one game's going to have 320 points in it. No, most likely none of them are going to have that right. Baseball has no time limit, right? If one pitcher gets blown up, they could ball up for 13 runs in one inning. Like it can't happen in basketball like that. So uh, the smaller the slate, obviously if there's only four games on the slate. Now, if, if you, if you happen to pick the one that is good and the other three suck, like then you want as many pieces of that game as possible, but only because there's so limited options. But when you have 10 games, 11 games on an NBA slate, Like that's what that's we get to the question. Like I like I said to you, how much how much projection are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of this weak correlation? When when you have a three game slate, four game slate, what other options do you have? I mean, like what what would the options be if you that situation with Tatum and Zion? Like if it wasn't ten points, if it was like two points, like but then who else are you gonna play if you don't play Tatum and you don't play Zion? Who else is available? It's a three or four game slate. There's, who else? I mean, you're going to have to play one of them. I mean, probably on a 10 game slate, there's going to be other options. There's going to be many more options for you to play. So the importance of having like two sides of a game, two ones are, are, are less prevalent, but only because the correlations are weaker. I always have to say weak correlations don't necessarily, oh, well, I want to gain as much correlation as possible. It's like, yeah, within reason, you have, those three levers are projection, correlation, and leverage. So you're always pulling those those levers. So whichever makes sense in your lineup, 
And it's sometimes you have to see, is the correlation worth the projection? Is it worth the leverage? Is the leverage worth the projection, right? We always, That's the number one thing that you're thinking of. Do I play the guy that's projected for a billion points at, no, at, at nothing, right? The stupid shock, 96% owned. He has, you know, obviously 5,000 underpriced. You can get tons of leverage. You're right. You can get tons of leverage by not playing that guy. But like how much? Like how much leverage are you getting in your lineups that you're sacrificing 25 points in median for? Like it, it probably is not going to be worth it. It's most likely not going to be worth it. So even though, yes, you can get leverage that way, you may be sacrificing way too much to do so. So all these things are in that, I don't want to say it looks like a milking cows or something like that. These are levers. These are lever, level one, lever two, lever three. So, so I know a lot of people treat NBA like almost like there is no correlation, but I think, I think, I think a lot of people get a lot of people get burned because they're putting lineups together that like have no no semblance of correlation, and then like a game blows out, a guy gets injured, you know, someone comes in like I, what I call infect. Like you end up having someone that infects like too many of your lineups. Like that's why I like when I build sixty to eighty lineups. I do I do force. I think I force it too much. I admit that I force it too much sometimes. That I look at the winning lineup and it's like all the players that I played, except for like, well, in all of my X lineups, I had this guy couldn't have made, like the lineup that won, I couldn't have actually made because it wouldn't have, I couldn't play these two together and it would have made that guy as the center. And I think over the long run, I have come out ahead doing so. Uh, but, uh, but I still don't think like forcing it in because I say that I'll make 30 groups and people think, oh, I need to make 30 groups too. And I always need to qualify with that, that, you know, this, this, the, the correlation, this 0.1 correlation, positive correlation coefficient, it shouldn't make or break your lineups. Like if you, you should have lineups that don't take advantage of it, right? You don't have to get every little thing. But I, since I come from large field GPPs, I'm used to trying to get every little edge and advantage that I can. But then we get into, well, can I play this guy with that guy? Can I play this guy with this guy? It's like the correlations are so weak that yes, it lowers your probability by about this much. But if you're spending so much time on, can I play this guy with this guy? Like, just don't worry about it. Like if you get to the point where you're like, I'm not sure, then play them together. Don't play them together. Make a group. Don't make a group. I don't think, I don't think, in basketball, in other sports, it's different. But in basketball, I, although we're talking about these same game correlations, I, James, I don't, I mean, when you build a, a bunch of lineups and you're multi-entering, like, do you, let me ask you this, in your system, do you even include like a correlation coefficient into like even building the lineups? No, no. I mean, I've thought about it. Like, I, I remember something that Matthew Friedman at, um, at Fantasy Labs wrote a long time ago about the correlation between DeMarcus Cousins and um, the who, who did he play with at the Kings? Point guard. Played for the Celtics. Plays for Atlanta right now. I can't remember his name. He's old. Anyway, whatever. Jeff Teague? No, no, no. Um, I, I didn't even play NBA DFS when Cousins was on the Kings. 
Why if, I, if you're asking me any questions about that, I have no idea. Because before DFS, I, I played DFS. I didn't watch basketball. So I can't I, remember his name. Anyway, so Friedman wrote an article about like the correlation between them and, and trying to figure out if there was any reason to play them together or apart. And what it came down to is if there are players that are robust, um, it doesn't really matter correlation-wise what you are doing with them or their teammates. If you have a player that can get there through multiple different categories, um, a Mike Conley or a Luka Doncic or something like that, where th- those guys are contributing in a whole bunch of different ways, like then they're not going to have negative correlation that's strong enough with their teammates to where it's going to really matter that much in the EV of your lineup. However, when you're looking at, you know, playing Danny Green and Seth Curry together uh, on the Sixers, it's just like those guys do the exact same thing. And like they they pretty much they're make or break on points. So finding your ceiling, if both of them are to find their ceiling, that means that both of them have to have significant usage on a team where Embiid exists and where Ben Simmons exists and Tobias Harris exists. And if two guys who do the exact same thing, just score points, if that's their ceiling, I do try to avoid those guys because I know that it's much less likely that they both have ceiling games shooting. Um, I do the same thing with a center and a backup center. Like there's only so many minutes that true centers can play. There's only a finite amount of rebounds that can happen in a game and a true center is going to be unlocked by their rebounds. So if if a player has a, a very skinny route towards their ceiling, they only contribute in one, maybe two small ways. um, And there are multiple players on a team that do that. I try to avoid those guys together, but it's, it's not really something people will ask me two players on the same team just because they're on the same team. And it's just like that they're, it's fine. Like Halliburton gets assists. You, you can play him with healed. Uh, Harrison. Well, Barnes, technically, I mean, like James, technically, if you want to go to all technicality, two players on the same game on the same team have to be negatively correlated to some extent. It? Right. They have to be. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's right. Negative, negatively coral. If if the Aaron Fox hits a basket, it's one that Bagley can't ha- can't have, right? Right, but Bagley could get an assist on it. And what happens if he doesn't? Then he's negatively correlated. I, so, uh, I mean, we take a look at football, right? If if one receiver gets a pass, the other two receivers have to be negatively correlated. Now, no, that on, that is true. That is true. Right. On a play, I think the difference that we're talking about. And this is why if you're looking at like a correlation chart, there are a lot of correlations. We have one at Roto-Grinders. Yeah. I, if you want to look at it, that's fine. I don't even bother because I don't care about medians. I don't care. Yes, your points are more correlative to another player's points. At a median, yes. At, at If we're going by the 50th percentile, I get it. But the whole point is we need to score 80th percentiles. We need to, we need ceiling results. So like what you said with the two... You know, if you have two corner three shooters, right? You mentioned Danny Green and Seth Curry, yeah. guys that you know, Duncan Robinson, and like, like three point shooters that essentially, I mean, I I always view Clay Thompson that way also on the Warriors. Yep. So it's like I would never play Steph Curry and Clay Thompson together. You this go, year well, it's Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins. Like, right. Well, there you go. Guys. There's another right guys that in order for them to hit seven X's on their scores on their salaries, you know, they're six or seven K. So you need like 45, 50 points. Like it's unlikely that they're both doing it. They could, but it's less likely, less probable that they're going to do it together because every shot, every three pointer that Oubre takes, takes one shot attempt away from Wiggins. And it's a timed game. 
Like it's not, it's not like baseball where there's, there's no time limit. So they can go through that order nine times if they want to, right? So that everyone starts getting correlated to one another. But in basketball, there's only so many shots to go around. There's only, there's only so many. And how many assists are they going to be on those certain shots? Not as, not as, not That's as true. to care about, right? So if you, if you told me a team was going to take a, a total of 85 shots, like every shot that one, one player takes is negatively correlated to all the other players on the team. It has to be because that guy took a shot. Now, it does it turn into a rebound? Now, if it turns into a rebound, that means the guy that took the shot didn't make it. So that those points aren't correlated to one another, right? So these same what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that these same play type of correlations, to me, don't matter. I just need to know, can, can, uh, can De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald both get 7X their score? Then now it depends on their price, right? So if De'Aaron Fox is 8,000, can he get 56 points in the same game that Buddy Heald at 6,000 gets 42 points? How often does that happen? So that, I, whether or not Fox has an assist to a Heald, I, what do I care? If and, and I don't care if they're correlated. Let's say for Fox and Heald were correlated, but correlated when Fox puts up 42 points, Heald puts up 28 points. And like, yeah, you're right. When they hit 5X value, they're correlated. Okay, I get it. Sure, yeah, I, that makes sense to me. But I ain't winning a GPP with that. So what? why would I care about that? I, yeah. I look at Fox and Heald going, uh, I hope Heald shoots badly so Fox takes more shots. So now I don't have Heald in my lineup and I just have Fox, or vice versa. We saw yesterday, Heald couldn't miss, yeah. right? And Fox didn't have a hit a ceiling, right? So, I mean, Heald was taking a ton of shots three pointers away from other players on the team. So like from a ceiling perspective for the full game, like most players on the same team are going to be negatively correlated to each other when they're priced efficiently. Mm -hmm. They were underpriced. The Aaron Fox was 4k last night. I don't care about his negative. I don't care. I don't don't care about the negative correlation at that point because how many points do I need out of a 4k player? 28? Like the Aaron Fox's median is 40. So like, what do I, I'm going to get 10 X no matter what happens pretty much most of the time. Yeah. So I think that that's, I think that's the, I think that's where people go wrong with asking the questions of, can I play this guy and this guy together? It's like, in all truth, it, it depends on the salary and it, it depends on, on how correlated both players can hit their ceilings in the same game, not their medians. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the right way to think about it. Um, you're, you're right. I guess that every player would be negatively correlated in some way. I, I try to think of in terms of NBA, um, I, I try to think of the games. And when I talk about esports DFS, uh, the, the, the strict difference between regular sports DFS, you know, NBA and MLB and stuff like that, and esports is that regular sports are in some ways positive some games where it like one player scoring points, it doesn't necessarily mean that another player is losing points. Um, unless it's like a steal and a turnover in NBA. But in esports, when one player gets a kill, the other player gets a death. Like that is a straight up zero sum game. Like then your one side goes up, one side goes down. That that's constantly. We don't have that in NBA. 
So you, you can have players from the same team and from the same game and stuff like that, where you'll have multiple players be able to find their ceilings. And if a game is, you know, straight up Dogecoin to the moon, like they, there's 340 real life points scored in that game, it's very likely that most of the players, most of the starters probably found their ceiling. Um, because there How was many so many games have scored 340 points. Well, I'm, I'm just, it was an arbitrary. I get it. Then the pie has gotten so big that yeah, right. everyone can eat from it. Right. I get but it. Like I you, get for those, I'm talking about like, if it's non, non outlier sure. situation, yeah, if, they scored, if we had one of these games on the slate, we have totals in the two fifteens, two twenties and one, one team, they have 340 points. Yeah, obviously. Sure. Obviously yeah. That's going to happen. But then the other side of that is the price, like you were mentioning. Players don't have to score 340 real-life points if they're all underpriced. We saw it with the Warriors, where I, I, I bring up this example all the time. There, was one, there were two slates in a row where I was able to play five Warriors in my lineup. Five Warriors. Because they were all like 3,500 or less. It was like Alec Burks and like Damian Jones. It was last, year, all, last year, right. When, yeah, when, it was all when, the bench players. But right. they didn't need to score 340 real points. And it didn't matter if they were negatively correlated because there was like eight of them playing 40 minutes in these spots where they were all so underpriced that if that if the Warriors score 100 real life points, that's a great time for those players to play. Like that, they almost guaranteed to meet value. So it, it more of that the more expensive your combination of players have to be, the more they have to do in those games, obviously, like that's the DFS game, but you have to think about in terms and relative of the price of the players. If you are going to be ignoring those correlations, if you're going to be ignoring those, those negative aspects, if Seth Curry and Danny Green are both 3K and there's no Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, it's, it's probably fine to play those guys because they don't have to do a lot and there's so much more usage going towards them that them being negatively correlated is not as big of a deal. But when they're priced appropriately, maybe they're a couple hundred bucks underpriced, that's when you have to be wary about it. And and I, I wanted to bring up again, when you have a smaller game, when you have a smaller site, when you have only four games, those correlations between players, like that stuff matters even less because if you target a game where you have one game go for that, I don't know, 250 actual points. It goes way over, it goes in overtime. And then two of the other games are blowouts and you targeted the game that went to overtime. The, the negative correlations don't even matter because they scored so many more points and the starters got so many more minutes that what mattered more was the macro game environment rather than the negative correlation between players. Right. I mean, and, and, and like th- this is the weighing of it. Like in yeah. certain cases, the negative correlation matters. And in certain cases, the, it doesn't. And it's, it's especially true because we're talking about very weak correlations. In other sports, that there's no such thing. They're, they're positive. I mean, look at MMA. MMA is the easiest example. Like you take two fighters from the same fight. Like they have to be negative, massively negatively correlated to each other. Because one fighter is going to win and one fighter is going to lose. Yet, yet for some odd reason, people will roster two guys from the same three-round fight, and uh, because they think a lot of points are going to be scored. Like, like, dude, only one player could win. Like, how? I, I, I still don't understand. I still there. You'll see tons of lineups in MMA. You know, a good five percent of lineups where 
someone has stacked the first three fights of a 10 fight card, 11 fight card. And I just, I just say, thank you for you. Just what, why are you donating? Like, how is, how is that possible? I mean, there are instances where the highest scoring loser is in the optimal lineup. So if you're playing, if, if you're, if you're rostering two sides of a fight of one fight, I still don't do it, but I mean, I, at least I, there is this, there is a, there is a situation where that happens depending like all the big favorites win and then all the, you know, there's no upsets. So basically the, like the highest scoring loser ends up optimal because of the pricing. But if you're going to roster two, you might as well throw your money. And my, why I, I just don't, I don't get that. Like that, like, I don't know if has ever, I mean, I don't think you can have two losers and, and win a GP. I, I don't think that's possible. I don't even think that's mathematically possible. Yet you see people do it because of the, well, the game, and oh, they're going to punch each other a lot. It's like, yeah, but one guy is not going to get at least 30 points less than, like, the likelihood of the loser of this fight beating out most of the winners of the other fights is so small, but people do it. And that's so massively negatively correlated. That, But that I can understand yelling at you about. Most people are listening to this or watching this going, yeah, it's stupid. If when I play MME DFS, I'm not, I'm no way, I'm not to take two guys in the same fight. That's stupid. But to me, I think in NBA, people ask questions as if there is some type of stupid, oh, can you play Danny Green and Seth Curry together? Well, I mean, you can insert, you, you can, right? And even in, even in situations, James, where they're efficiently priced, everyone's in, right? It's a low total, right? And, and Nothing looked like you look at Danny Green and you look at Seth Curry and you go, I don't even know why you should be playing them in the first place, even by as one-offs, right? Like it's just they're they, they are who they are. They're like 4,300 or something, and you're like, whatever. And and the game happens, and both of them put up 30 plus points. And then you come to me and you go, I thought you said that they can't hit their ceiling in the same. I I didn't say they can't, it said it's at zero percent. But it's some low. It's 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 probably some low. It's probably two percent. Probably low, low. So so it's not like these things can't happen. It's just that they're less likely. All these things with negative correlations in basketball and positive correlations in basketball. To me, it's a slightly less likely and slightly more likely. It's like oh, you can't play Giannis and Middleton together. It's like I we've had we've had several games this season when they both hit their ceilings in the same game. Right, with Middleton being eight thousand and Giannis being eleven k, so we've seen it before. Now, is it is it more likely to happen? No, but we've seen it before. Of course, Drew Holiday was out, but I mean, there are instances where these things happen. So it's not a matter of no, you cannot possibly play these two guys together. Like, well, just consider that it's it's less it's less probable. If that's the way that you're getting leverage and you don't mind taking a lower probability situation because you're playing a large field GPP. Shoot to do it. You don't have to ask me. You don't have to. It's like okay, it's less probable. But of course, when you're playing uh, eighty thousand entry contests, you're you're building lineups that have lower probability to begin with, because that's how you get first place. So I don't think uh, you should necessarily be that concerned if if it's if it's so close. You know or on the side of not taking the guy that's on the same team or taking the guy on the other side of the game. But other than that, if, I mean, 
I mean, I know, I know I wanted James, I wanted to talk about correlation a bit, but as people in the in the Discord ask ask a lot of times, can I play this guy and this guy together? And that guy and that guy together? Can I play this guy and this side from and most of the time you're like if you're spending more than three minutes on this, then you're the correlations aren't strong enough for you to to worry so much about it. I tend to over-correlate. I do it in football. I do it in basketball. Obviously, baseball, you almost that's the way to play. You can't not do it in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so I tend to overvalue. I tend to overvalue correlation. It makes my choices easier, if anything. And right? It, 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 right? That if the, if the choice is going to be pretty like 50 50, I'm going to take the guy that's in the same game as the I mean, I just, so if I'm thinking that way, most of my lineups are going to look that way. If I'm in football, if I'm going to play this wide receiver and oh, I, I have to play a cheap tight end. And I have the cheap tight end from the other side of the game in my pool. Then I guess that's the one I'd rather play that guy. He's at least in the same game. So I think more like that. And my lineups reflect that when I play NBA GPPs and that's, and I I'm willing to accept that when I do so, I will be locking myself out of the winning lineup sometimes, even with the same player pool. And, but there are other times where obviously I've, I've won a ton doing it. So to me, it's not, that I'm doing it to like overvalue correlation. It's just that it, ma- it makes things so much simpler when I'm hand building. It just makes it, if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play, if I'm going to play Zach Levine, I'm probably going to play Jokic in that lineup tonight. I mean, like, like, okay, those are the two. If I, if I'm going to play two stud lineups and I'm going to say, I'm going to play Zach Levine and, and Jokic, not saying those, those two specifically, just I'm looking down. Those are the first two names I saw. Most likely my Zach Levine lineups will have Jokic in it and not them separated. Well, I have a lineup with Levine, then I have a lineup with Jokic, then I have a lineup with Levine. Like, cause then it just, to me, that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like I just, uh, why not put them together? If they're going to be in, they're going to be in the same line. If you're going to choose to play one and you're going to choose to play both, just play them together. Now, if you're only going to choose to play one, then, then you don't have to worry about it. But if you're going to choose to play guys from the same game, you might as well have them in the same line. Am I, am I, am I, to me, to me, it's, it's a simplification. If the correlation doesn't matter that much, James, doesn't even like, why not do it? And, and, but you can make the case, James, for the other side of, since it doesn't matter that much, don't even worry about, don't even make groups and don't even care about. Well, one of the things that we talk about in the theory of DFS is trying to make it so that you have to be right about less things. That's, that's huge. We, we don't necessarily want to have to nail a nine player prop parlay of hitting their over on their fantasy points. We don't necessarily want to do that in the NFL. We absolutely do not want to do that. Like you should try to be correlating as much as you can in the NFL In MLB. You do not want to be doing that. You, you don't want to take a, a six player home run prop uh, on, you know, whatever site that you're betting on. If you're, if you're going to be not correlating anything in MLB, just go put together parlays of home run props on whatever site you bet at and just like play that way because that's what you're doing when you, when you uh, seed correlation in MLB. And I think in an NBA, there's certainly some virtue to that where, where you are trying to be right about less things. If you are attacking a certain game environment, instead of playing, you know, a combination of eight different players, if you're playing a combination of five different players and then three players from one game that you think is a really good game environment, 
then you have to be right about less things. You have to be right about that game environment, and then you have to be right about the other five players. So there's something good about being right about less, about needing less things to go your way in order for you to find success. Um, when you're able to combine that kind of thought process of wanting to be right about less things, needing less things to go your way, as well as being able to identify where the obvious value is sitting. If you can combine those two thoughts, I think they'll put you in a good path towards proper roster construction for any DFS sport, um, especially NBA. And, and I, I think that you probably over-correlate a little bit. Sure, you can admit that. Um, I probably don't correlate enough. I, I probably am too math-based and too like, oh, well, this projection difference is, is a little bit too high. I don't know if I want to do that. Um, but it, it comes down to the process of how you're going to be hand-building and, and what things you want to need to be right about. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of virtue to that, even in NBA, where I, I say all the time that there's no correlation that I worry about in NBA, but maybe I should worry about it a little bit more. I don't think it's a matter of worrying or not worrying. I almost think that me being a little weighing correlation too much makes me more unique because I see uh, on average, the field doesn't. I'd agree with that. And, and, that. and even, even, even sharp players, like I've talked to sharp players and they've even told me that I, I, I probably over, I probably overvalue correlation in a lot of times and which is fine, but I don't, I don't, there's a difference between overvaluing correlation and ignoring projection, right? Because you could, you could, yes, overcorrelating and then building a lineup that has a 40 point median lower than the optimal. Yes. Yeah. Do that, that would be overcorrelate. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not doing that. Right. But completely who cares about the projections as long as I'm playing the same guys from the same teams and the same games and I'm stacking. Right. I mean, even in baseball, when I'm stacking my vomit stacks, right. That also means I'm probably playing two stud pitchers. Like I'm, I'm getting the projection somewhere else. I'm playing Mike Trout in an outfield spot. I'm getting, playing Gary. So well, I don't even know Gary Sanchez, real Muto, so <laughs> whoever I'm paying up a catcher. Uh, Gary Sanchez is just like, he's a strikeout, strikeout, strikeout for weeks at a time. And then he'll hit two home runs and people will be like, Gary Sanchez is back. And then he'll right, strike until out back until the next thing. They have to wait two weeks for that to happen again. Yeah. Uh, but, but that, but, but to me, that, that's what I mean. But that you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like the correlation is never going to be to the sense where you're sacrificing so much projection in order to get it. Even, but I mean, you could, we could say that even in baseball, should I, should I do a, a five man or a four man stack? Well, I mean, if your four man stack lineup has a seven point higher projection, like then just stack four. Well, but, uh, but DraftKings, you're supposed to stack five guys. Like if that lineup is projected better and you still have the same amount of leverage and everything, then, then who cares? Well, but it's not correlated enough. Like the one extra batter is not going to matter. Right, you're gaining seven points in projection because now you're able to get, you know, some pitcher or something. You know, yeah. Garrett Cole now. Yeah. Then fine, then do it. There's no like set rule, but then you'll look at my lineups and be like, all you do is stack five, 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 five. Yeah, because I'm building a hundred lineups, and it's easier to just like I'm gonna screw those examples of four man stack lineups because that if I now try to introduce four man stack lineups, it's gonna take me twice as long to build everything. Because now I have to weed through everything. So my general strategy is just 5X and just whatever. And just like I'm jamming in as much as I can. 
I'm doing my exposures. I'm setting the stack rules. And then if a four, if, if hey, if the four man stack lineup wins, then I just tomorrow's another day. But I, it's not that I'm against the four man stack in baseball to do a four, three, one type of lineup on DraftKings. It's just that it's easier to do those in different builds. So if you purposely had, if you have a hundred line, if you're like, I'm going to do 80 of one and 20 of the other, it's probably best to do two different builds to get those, which obviously increases the time that you have to build lineups. So if you were to say, I want to do all four, three ones, that's fine. If you want to do all five, five X's, that's fine too. I mean, like to me, the EV difference between the lineups are probably not going to be that dramatic that if you don't end up on four man stacks, then no, so be it. Or if you don't do any five man stacks, okay, for a specific slate. But I, I view the same thing with, with this, this NBA correlation. If I'm hand building, if I'm building, it doesn't matter. I'm just looking through going, if I'm going to play uh, LaMelo Ball, and I need a small forward in the, you know, some cheaper range. Well, Derek Jones Jr. doesn't, it doesn't pop or anything, but no one else does in that range. And I need someone in that spot. Am I going to take Garrett Temple or I'm going to take Derek Jones Jr.? Well, LaBella Ball is playing the, the, the Blazers. So more likely I'm going to just, I'm, I'll take, I'll take the guy. I'll take the, the guy in the Blazers rather than take, take a Chicago guy with no, and I'm not playing any Denver, right? If I'm playing Jokic, maybe I played Kat Garrett Temple, right? I mean, like, to me, those decisions, well, what's the worst thing that happens? Oh, you should have played Derek Jones Jr. with Jokic and not the two sides of the game. Like, if you, they both project about the same. Like, what does it, what does it matter at that point? So I, so, but I'm, I'm almost making the argument for and against. What does it matter? So why bother doing it? I'm saying, what does it matter? So why not do it? So have we gotten anywhere by arguing this? Yeah, I, I think that we have gotten to a point of letting people know that they need to think about things uh, in... Actually, I, I think the best point that we have made here is saying that if, if all things else are equal, small correlations are worthwhile. Right. Could be worthwhile. Uh, uh, well, I mean, for you, like they're worthwhile when you had yeah. those. Yeah. So I, I think, and I agree with that, that like if all things equal, like, uh, you know, back when I had that Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson decision, if if it were like a three, three to five point difference, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go Zion because like that game needs to stay close. And knowing that intuitively, knowing that the only way that these players find their ceilings is if the game is close, then uh, I'll go with that. Um, but that's because the other things were equal. It was the same position. It was nearly the same projection. It was a, it was a situation where I needed some sort of a tiebreaker. In NBA, the tiebreaker can be the positive or the negative correlation. Um, and remember that we are talking almost specifically about NBA here because we care a lot about correlation in other sports uh, and with NFL and MLB. But for NBA, I, I think that it's a worthwhile uh, tiebreaker. And, and a lot of people have different things for tiebreakers. And I think that's fine too. I, I tell people the, the defensive efficiency metrics on, on my site. Um, somebody asked me how I utilize those since they're already baking the projection. I'm like, well, they're, they're already baking the projection, so I don't really care that much about them. But if I have two players at the same position, if everything else is equal, and if I need a tiebreaker, like I'm going to go look. And if one guy has 
a, an 18% boost to his fantasy point production and the other guy only has like a 2% boost, like I'll probably choose the guy with the bigger boost because maybe it helps him find a ceiling. But the, the small edges that you are looking for, it matters a lot more when you have a lot of lineups, but these small edges, correlation, negative correlation, boosts, whatever, they matter a lot more when you're looking for a tiebreaker, when you're looking for other things that are equal. Um, I, I think that's when you really should be kind of like, whatever, just go for it. Yeah, but if you if you ignored it, it probably wouldn't make a difference until you have a much larger sample size. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because if you have a correlation coefficient of, let's say, 0.04, like really, how, you know, you know <laughs> Right. That, I mean, like nothing. what what you're gonna need such a large sample size to even like recognize that it even exists. Right. So that that's why I wanted to bring it up. I want to explain why I do it and say that it's not the be all end all. It's not like mm-hmm. like in, in basketball specifically. Because a lot of people you come from NFL, we've seen this. They, you come from NFL, oh, I'm going to decide to play NBA DFS. And I've gotten tons of emails. That right in the beginning of the NBA season, people that play NFL DFS never played NBA DFS. Their first question is, uh, how do I build correlation? Because in NFL, we're talking about game stacks and 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 runbacks and all that type of stuff. It's like, what? how does that work in NBA? And I have to tell, uh, it really doesn't. And then they throw their hands up in the air and they go, how the hell am I supposed to build lineups now? Like, like... In NFL, like half of your lineup is correlated to each other. And then the other half is kind of like one-offs and then secondary correlations, running back, wide receiver, those types of things. And then I have to tell people in NBA, no, you could just kind of just throw in, throw in eight or nine guys in a lineup and uh, usually fine. Usually have fun. fun. <laughs> have fun. Have fun. It's usually fine. If you didn't care about correlation, it, you, you probably wouldn't notice the difference. But then sometimes I get burned by that. Sometimes I force in correlations and I go, uh, well, I couldn't have made that winning lineup because uh, in all of my, in all of my X lineups, I would have had this guy that had a snowflake in it because that's, that's what I did. Uh, but when I'm right, obviously I crush. So that's, that's the, the other side of the spectrum. Well, and you are of course, okay with losing a lot of the time. And having those times when you crush be the times when you make your bread, you know, right. and, and that that's another part that we'll talk about at some point, if we haven't already talked about it enough in both the theory DFS and on here is risk aversion. Um, some people have different goals and different circumstances of when they are playing and how they're playing GBPs and how they're playing DFS. And maybe if you have less risk aversion, you're caring less about the correlations. Is that what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I, would, I would think so, right? Correlation yeah. would increase your variance. I, I, would, I, would, I would assume so. Yeah, in, in NBA for sure. So yeah. I think that that's the other thing. You have to understand how and why you're playing GBPs. If if you're not okay with losing 96, 97% of the time, so the 3% of the time when you do care about correlations and that one game that, you know, the Denver-Chicago game where he had Levine and Jokic that goes into double OT and both those guys put up 85 fantasy points and Levine is three percent owned and Jokic is nine percent owned and you built you know a a core around those guys that three percent of the time you're going to make enough money for all the 97 percent of the time that you were wrong or that wrong that the bearing that didn't get there right 
So uh, th those kinds of things matter. You know, if you, if you have, if you are more risk averse and you are less accepting of that kind of volatility of that same game correlation, where it's a very small correlation, um, you know, maybe you're not playing those guys together on purpose. Maybe you're just kind of letting the chips fall where they fall, or maybe you want to have exposure to that game, but with them in different lineups, you know, you're, you're saying that you want Levine or Jokic. It, it's all about the goals when it comes to that, down to that kind of thing. And, and Jordan's goals are that he wants to be really, really right sometimes, but okay with being super duper wrong other times. And I, I'm the same way. And um, I think that that's how that that's how I always preach that people should play GPPs. If you want to play in a way to cash a little bit more often, go play some double ups, go play some head to heads. But I, I think you have to be accepting of, uh, of that volatility in GPPs. Right. And we talk about this, a lot in the theory of daily fantasy sports, 15 hour audio masterclass. You go to theoryofdfs.com. We touched in, we touched in a lot of what's in uh, chapter six correlation. Talked a little bit about chapter eight risk management right there at the end. But here you go introduction, game objectives, player selection, expected value. Yeah, if you don't get expected value, you ain't gonna, that's the, probably the most important concept. Uh, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits. Psychology, miscellaneous stuff. So go pick it up. It's a 15-hour audio masterclass. All, all of these concepts, all of the, everything. Structure, it's a structured education. It's like going to a seminar for 15 hours. And you could, you could listen to it over and over again and pick up, pick up new things. You play, and then you listen. And then a month later, you know, you play for a bit. You know, MLB is coming up, and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, before the new start of a season or something, you could listen to it again. And, you know, did, did, that these concepts will not go away as long as DFS exists. Like you could listen to this 10 years from now and it, it would apply. So theory, I still DFS.com. What'd you say? I said, even I still listen to it. Like you listen, I, you listen to yourself. I do. I listen to both of us. Yeah. There's oh. good concepts, dude. Like I, I particularly listen to the, um, the player selection chapter because i think that's one of the most valuable chapters in the entire audio course and i th there are some times when i have to like remind myself of some of the things that we talk about yeah i i but you, you don't realize i had to edit this so like, I <laughs> this, like, like yeah you've heard you've heard it so many times, times. right okay. I, I, had to, I had to listen to it so many times in order to edit it down yeah uh, so uh so if you want if you want to pick this up theory of dfs.com james you're at uh pay dirt underscore dfs is there a time period where people because of the baby can't can't uh can't, can't mention you on twitter can't, can't. um no okay so you can follow me on paydirt underscore dfs um most of the time i think i might rebrand as as a as a dad twitter um so you know if you're following me for dfs that's fine but i'm gonna make a lot more dad jokes so just be prepared for that um, you can also find me over at paydirt underscore or paydirt.ghost.io. That is my uh, DFS and, and sports analytics site. Um, doing a lot of work on, on optimizer building and, and focusing on the daily sports, you know, Counter-Strike, League of Legends, um, NBA, also have PGA. I, I have every sport. Every sport for 30 bucks a month is, is pretty, pretty good. So you can find all my work there. And I'm going to start back up on the Twitch stream here pretty soon. Um, I'll, I'll start having links for that as well. So. So it's like you become a dad, and next thing you know, now, now, now you have more time to do stuff. No, I'm just more. I'm just more inspired. I'm just like I just want to grind harder. I, I want to grind harder for him. I never want him to worry about things. So I just want to. I want to work and give him a good life. Okay. So, 
So check out James there. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Blender HD, as always. Hit those thumbs ups on your way out. Hit the thummy thumbs. The th- either way. If you if you don't like kids, just hit the thumbs down. Me, me, I don't have any kids. James, you've made the worst EV decision of your entire life. For the next like good 18 to 21 years, it's all it's, it's just all negative EV. It's just all complete. It's like you have nah, to man. tax on your winnings now. You uh you gotta read up on uh on life utility, life utils, read up on uh on the black swan or how not to be wrong. David Kahneman, good, good, good. I don't author. see utility for a kid. What utility? Utility is the happiness that the child brings you. It's not all. I don't, about I don't get happiness thing. from having a kid. <laughs> Why would I want the, some little dude that looks like me eating my shit? No, get out of here. Because I can make jokes with him and he can play video games with me. I can make jokes with other people. It's going to be the proudest moment of my life the day that he gets to beat me at poker. Proudest day of my life. Why, 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 why? I don't want my kid to beat me at poker. I want to win. I want to win my kid's money. Is he going to get a job immediately so I can win money from him and play him in DFS and then he'd go broke? Like, There's that's a what reason I'm saying. I don't, want to have I don't want to Come on. Get the happiness of having a kid. Oh, the happiness of having more money. Yeah. yeah and well, more freedom. Freedom. You'll think differently like 12 years from now, probably. I, I we'll we'll see. I'll, we'll we'll revisit this conversation in twelve years. Right. We'll see. We'll see what's correlated. We'll, <laughs> let's see if the kid and happiness are correlated to each other. Let's. See. Okay. So uh, James will be back next Monday as as usual for Mondays with McCool. Me. I, I'm going to be on even during the All Star break, even though there's no slates. Like on some of these days, we're still having the, the pregame show. So I don't, I don't know what the hell we'd be talking about. But we'll probably I'll probably be answering questions and stuff. We'll hang out and chat. Maybe some baseball stuff. Maybe the All-Star the All-Star game has like a showdown. Maybe we start talking about NBA showdown strategy. So so we'll we'll I'll be here Monday through Friday. This is it never ends. If you don't see a show that's some technical difficulty, I'm or I'm dead, right? Or something like that, right? If there's no show in the morning, most likely. Uh so so tune in every day, every weekday, Monday through Friday. 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time to the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.